You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Okay, quick note before I get going here. There is a 60-cycle uh, ground hum in my recording, and that is because I did a, uh, I didn't, I forgot to turn on my primary recorder, and my backup had a ground hum in because I was splitting my XLR signal to two different places, and yes, sometimes I didn't check it. My mistake, so there's a little bit of ground hum in my mic. I gated it out, did the best I could. I won't let this particular mistake happen again, although there will be other audio mistakes and that's just the way it goes. So forgive me on that. Uh, enjoy this episode with Aaron Sprinkle. I did the whole thing live. I did it on video. And since I'm playing around with that, I'm going to take a few weeks. I'm going to end what I'm calling season three with this episode. I'm going to take a few weeks off, figure out exactly how I want to present the show with video and doing it more live and more interactive and, you know, the kind of stuff I've been talking about that I'm into. So give me a few weeks. I'll be back with that. Thank you guys very much. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. We're live on video. You see my face? All right. Yeah. What's up, Break It Downers? Welcome to the podcast. And I think Break It Downer, uh, Break It Down, Downers. What's going on, Downers? I think that's what I'll use to, to call you guys. I think I'm almost settled on that one. Uh, Sprinkle, how are you doing? Good. Good. Uh, your audio sounds good. I can hear you, and you're comfortable. You hear me good? Yeah. Good. Great. Well, I'm just going to catch up with you live here this hour and play with my new setup here, which is a bunch of video stuff. So we're doing, if that's okay with you, I didn't ask you until just a minute ago, but it's okay with you if we go live and you have to be on video for the podcast. Yeah, that's okay. fine. So a lot of people don't love that because they're afraid how they look, and plus webcams always look bad and stuff. But I think you, uh, I like your Mariner's hat, and your background is very cool for a webcam background, by the way. Fantastic. Because you know, normally it's up against a bedroom wall, and it sounds terrible. But you even got that video game back there. What is that? Did you build it? Yes. Was it a kit or what? Kind of. I used a kit for the main cabinet part, but I had to do all the other work. That's awesome. I saw a picture of Christian from Acceptance. Play. Is that that what he was playing the other yeah, day? On that, yeah. On that. You, are you recording Acceptance in your uh, at your house doing stuff with him? Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, we're working on some new songs. Good. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so let me see if I, I'm, I... The other thing about doing these shows live is it's a little bit more like radio, which is a bummer in a sense because podcasts are so cool because everybody knows exactly who they're listening to and why. But if you're doing something live, and I'm thinking through this now as I'm talking to you, mm -hmm. people that tune in later maybe aren't going to know. So I'm going to try and get an overlay or some words up there that say your name, 
um, and stuff like that. But I feel like I have to, I'll probably have to explain a couple of times, or I think they call that resetting the guests and explaining what we're doing. But yep. I want to talk about pre-production and stuff a little bit today. Um, as long as, yeah, okay, I think we're doing good on the stream. It's up. It looks good. Okay, good. Did you looks see? Good to me. Did you see or hear that we did that live stream the other day for the Emory Acoustic Show? Um, it's okay if you missed it. I did miss it. I just saw about it on your Facebook page just cool. now. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. So just to catch you up, I'm way into this live video stuff. We did a uh, we did the Emory concert. We're doing those ones with Devin and Toby and I, where we just do in uh living rooms it's, it's about like big living room shows so we do in yeah. like other spaces but it's all private vip stuff it, i told you about those didn't i yes it's the best i think you should i think everybody ought to do something like it but we did it the other day with video and uh because facebook live is like really giving you juice right now and yeah. so i think this is a good way to reach people but we did us live with the two camera thing and everything and uh it was huge it was the biggest numbers i've ever had on anything just for That's, just for going live on Facebook, and the it looks cool. This little thing on here looks awesome. Yeah, the uh, it's crazy because the there was in within the first hour of it, it was two thousand comments in the hour of just wow. because people know like it's live, so it makes you just like jazz. Like I've got a I've got a comment. Like yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. can see it or, or whatever it is. So it, something about it's really cool. And then I don't, you didn't hear this news either, but I did something else fun. I released, we released a surprise album during that broadcast. Crazy. And it, uh, and it, the my favorite part about it was I didn't tell Devin or Toby or Dave, so it was a surprise to them. What? <laughs> it was an, it's a live acoustic EP that we made from one of our other show acoustic shows and so i told uh i had it mi had brett mix it and had it all ready to go and they knew that it was going to exist sometime and they were asking me can i hear it what are the details and i just didn't really tell them so that when i announced it during the stream it would be a total surprise and we'd have a surprise album so much so that the band didn't even know it was it existed so i thought that was pretty cool you're trying to pull a beyonce yeah i guess i guess so yeah. uh, and so one other note i've got for everybody today is that that album is out now and the only way you can get it is from us so it's not actually on itunes or anywhere it's just, it's only emory acoustic.com to get it so there's nobody else involved it's just straight money to us if anybody will buy it and we released it and we made it and that's it so it's kind of a real fun experiment it's working well it sold a ton during the live stream but if anybody hadn't picked it up yet i'm going to give you a promo code um to get 20 percent off of that or any other emory stuff and sorry if i sound like i'm just doing all promotional stuff sprinkle i'll be done in one Shh. second we okay. got uh the if you use the promo code bid live at emoryacoustic.com you can get that or that live EP which I would really appreciate it if you pick that up and or any t-shirts posters any of the stuff that's over there on that site will be 20% off is that promo code live right now okay excellent and thank you Reva for running all my streaming and this stuff I couldn't do any of these things by myself which gives me a leg up on other podcasters because I have an assistant so, very good um, alright so I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff Mainly pre-production, because I think a lot of people want to understand how that works. And mm -hmm. last time I had you on the show, we talked about gear and microphones and how that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, it kind of leaves people out, because what I think what really does matter is, I mean, if, that, if microphones and the gear and the preamps aren't that important, then I thought it'd be interesting to give some people something practical yeah. that, that is important. But 
one more delay before we get to that. I have been doing all the, into this keto stuff, and you told me you're doing high fat, low carb the other day. Are you still doing that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Tell me about it. Well, it. I found myself with some pretty serious medical issues. Di- type two diabetes. You were officially in type two diabetes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then high and high blood pressure medicate medication for that, and just through my obsessive researching of things, I mm-hmm. found a website based out of Sweden, and then I had a whole community of people, and I managed to, um, with their help, I've reversed everything. I'm off all my meds. I'm not diabetic anymore, and you lost weight too. It looks like. Yeah. 30-something pounds. In how long? Uh, four months. That's great. So you've been doing it about the same as me just this year, like mm-hmm. since January or something. Yeah, I started in the middle of January. Yeah, yeah, me too, right at the beginning of January. I just the thing. It's just cool because it's not like the motivation isn't like aesthetic. You yeah. know, it's like. The weight loss is a, a good byproduct of it. It is. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting sick and being really upset about that and then being mm-hmm. able to actually do something about it um, was really an interesting experience. You, you know, mean, you mean that you, I mean, do, be able to do something about it, not only to get well, but there's something hands on or active that you're doing versus yeah, take, taking something medicine that, like, or something. You know, you find out about you research, you do it and it works. It's, it's just really an interesting sensation. And, um, Oh, Elliot just got home. That's all right. He's welcome to join us if you like. Um, my son just got home, but, uh, yeah, it's just really cool. And just the mental kind of clarity is such a cool other, that's real, right? Like it's not placebo. I think, I think that my joints are better and my mind is better. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. I started like, I felt so different and I, and then I did research about that. And do what it, do you know the all, reason for that? I don't know anything behind why that is, but I definitely feel clearer mentally and never feel mentally lazy. You well, know what I, mean? I, I I think it's from what I um, know, it has a lot to do with having a uh, your blood sugar stabilized. Uh huh. Because for me, especially with the the high level of insul- insulin resistance I was at. You know, a normal a meal that maybe wouldn't really raise some a, a normal person's blood sugar would just put, put mine through the roof, and then I would crash after. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, yeah. And so that really affects your brain. I mean, it's like drugs almost. Definitely. Like, uh, so I think that has something to do with it, and then just the fact that my body is not in a f- mode where it thinks it needs to store mm-hmm. energy for later, right? <laughs> perpetually. For yeah. forty years, you know, like, <laughs> for, the, for the really long winter that yeah, they never yeah. never come. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what it's like. It's like being a bear, and you eat berries and fish, anything you can, and then you store as much as you can, and then you can live forever. I mean, off of, if you have that stored fat mm-hmm. kind of thing, and then at that time, your whole body's living off of fat, so you, you can eat fat kind of in the same way. But it's yeah. your, your blood levels there, even though you eat tons of fat, and you do a lot of dairy too. Hmm. And you, your blood levels are good, your cholesterols and, and those things? Yep. That's awesome. I it's, did my, I haven't done mine in a while. Crazy. I'm curious to go back. If they look good when I go back now, it's going to be a, I'll be real proud of that, but I'm not sure. 
So it seems like that's uh, pretty good. I'm glad to hear you're doing it. Do you ever do cheat days and stuff like that? Mm-mm. You're just happy staying on it. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm never hungry. I yeah. unintentionally probably fast on skip, average skip 14 a hours a day, yeah. six, 16 hours a day, mm-hmm. which also makes me feel – I love the way that makes me feel too. I mean I'm not trying to do it, but I – Yeah. You, you work right through lunch, you mean? I don't eat breakfast. Oh, you don't eat breakfast. I eat breakfast and usually work right through lunch and never notice. I'm never hungry in the morning. It probably has to do with how much coffee I drink, but um, – Oh, dude, coffee's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um. What coffee are you drinking now? I, I, I switch it up a lot, but right now I'm drinking a lot of this roaster called Revelator uh-huh. coffee. They're really awesome. Have, do you know what third wave is for coffee? Have you heard of that? No, I don't think so. Okay, so this is my understanding of what of, it's like the, the farthest out there trend in coffee, I think. And so I think that, like, you know how people think dark coffee is the best or whatever, super strong, Bauhaus and Seattle stuff and Starbucks. Uh, That's been, like, the hip thing in coffee from just regular coffee and then into that. And now I think – I just have one person told me about this, so I could sound like an idiot right now. But one person that I've been talking to um, that's crazy about coffee, he's, like, the number 13 barista in the world. Like, he's titled that. And I I had no idea that people were coffee nerds like this, but he – I mean, I thought people like you were coffee nerds because you weigh the beans or, and grind them. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he's he's great. Like, he knows everything about the elevations and everything and the, yeah, the, the, every single thing about every component of the coffee. And it's weird. But he says he's into this third wave coffee, which is it's almost all super light, but has all these flavors and notes. And it's all about the tasting of all this other stuff instead of just being strong. And I yeah, think it's well, beyond I mean, I, I, strong coffee. Only, I mean, I only really love really, really lightly roasted coffee is what I've been drinking for four years or so. That's why I wanted to ask you because maybe you don't know the term of it, but I bet you you are the person that's always on the hipper edge of things. And then, I mean, you're you're like one of the people that I find out stuff from. And then I'm like, oh, okay, so that must be the way this is going. And so I figured you might because you, you you've taught me a ton about coffee over the years. So I thought you might have know what I'm talking about. But it sounds like you're in the same category. It's like a post dark coffee trend. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's funny. I because I we were working together when I started really getting into coffee yeah. at the you know really starting my right. journey. Um, <laughs> Your coffee journey. Yeah. And. I remember, I think it was, forget what roaster it was when I really, when it hit me, like the difference between the, you know, French and even like some of the city plus roasting levels, uh-huh. like where the, you know, the beans are starting to, the oil starting to come out of the beans and stuff. Cause I always was taught like in Seattle when I was younger, like that was a, if you see the oil on the beans, it's like a good thing. It is. Or but that's isn't. actually a really bad thing. Really? And, yeah, well, that means you burnt the coffee. That's what it means. And not burning coffee was like this thing that kind of happened. You know, got more, more, and more popular. Uh huh. Um, and that note, that f- flavor note that they call some people call process, which is the taste of the roasting. Uh huh. It's, it's it's not the taste of the coffee. It's right. It's literally the taste of burnt. That's what it takes. And that's the 
primary note in a lot of coffee. Like it, like the primary. So you've obliterated the, the real profile by by pronouncing yeah. it. It's like over compressing audio, and it's just it is what it is. You you maxed it something out. It, it takes over the real That's profile right. that was there. Yeah, and then you know, and then single origin stuff got really you know popular and. Before everything was blends that were you know blended to have a certain kind of balance or whatever, and then the single note thing is like, let's really get in and see what this variety in, is doing in this place at this time in this year, and um, check out all its notes and stuff. And I, you know, I talk to people all the time that make me feel like I don't know anything about coffee, Crazy. but I, I know what I like, and. And I get excited about being able to make coffee that I really enjoy and that kind of gives me like a almost spiritual experience, you yeah. know. And, you know, I, I, I'm probably someone that knows a little bit about a lot of things, <laughs> enough to be dangerous in a lot of, ti- a lot of times. But, uh, yeah, it's just fun. And I do coffee at my church. And um, I started doing cold brew a few weeks ago, making 10 gallons or more of cold brew on what the weekend. What do you do with 10 gallons? Serve it at church. Oh, I saw. That's cool. I, yeah. I love cold brew for sure. But I'm yeah, trying, in the I'm summer, to, I've got it in my fridge 24-7. During oh, that's awesome. Summer. I'm trying to work with this guy because I really what I'd like to do is develop a, a roast for us and sell it. That's what, mm-hmm. actually my goal. So that's why I've been like looking into it and asking around and talking to people. But I'd like to make a real roast or something. I don't. I don't know exactly. I want to get it to where it's what I. Re- I want to find out first of all exactly what I love instead of I just try different stuff and then I'll just stick with something for a while. But I don't. I'm never convinced of what coffee I like. I never feel convinced. Yeah. So I'm gonna try and find one that I love and then actually export that. You know, sell that to people. Yeah, that's what's fun about stuff. coffee, though. Is it's it's uh it's good to. I I, I like I change my what I'm into all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. If you drink the same thing, you get burnt out on it, and you want something else. And the other thing that's kind of awesome that I think is cool is I feel like I feel like blends are coming back in right now too. That's um, interesting. Like, but some of these blends have like just two or maybe three single origins that that go really well together, like really because blends were kind of before they were kind of made to be able to make not that sweet a coffee like balance out, yeah. like kind of lower end. But these are like taking. Single origins that stand really well on their own and blending them together, and I'm, that's actually something I'm pretty excited about right now too. That's awesome. Really See, I knew you would know thing. about that. I knew I was, I was thinking you would say. I asked you, do you know about third wave? And you didn't know the term, but you're totally you're never totally there. I don't know even know if that's the term. That's just what I was trying to identify it, it so I could talk to you about it. But you you got it. So I will be blowing you up more. I'm going to send you some when I figure out if we get a roast or something. I want to know your feedback. And I'll let you help us figure out what will be the right one. That's amazing. Have you gotten uh, Tim and Nate's coffee? Do you ever drink that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. That's what King's. They just State, had to yeah. upgrade. They had to get like a ten times the size roaster. Whoa, good for them! Literally, because they. I was talking to Nate the other day, or texting with him, and he said that they're roasting like ten hours a day, seven days a week. Wow, to keep up with their all their demand. That's great. Good news for them. They're doing a bunch of good stuff. Hey, Elliot. What's up, man? Good to see your lower half there. <laughs> um, okay, so have you been out into Bremerton to Mike Carrera's studio at Monkey Trench? Never. It's awesome. Have you seen pictures? You know about it, right? Yeah, I definitely know about it. I've heard about it a lot. What's the last thing you did with Mike? The Secret Weapon MXPX uh-huh. record, 2008 or nine yeah. or something like that. That was at the Compound, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Um, we did drums at London Bridge. Oh, that's and cool. Else well, uh, we just went out there last week. Uh, Toby and Dave and Devin came here, and we went out there and to write, like, last week. It was awesome. It was cool. so cool because we just took the ferry over to Bremerton because whenever the guys are in town – like the idea is like, oh, if my friends come to town, then at least I don't have to travel, and then I get to be with the guys. Like when you start a tour and you get the rehearsal days, but it actually always, always, always turns out to be a nightmare because I've got Toby and Devin and Dave asking stuff, wanting to do stuff, wanting to hang out, wanting to work, and then you feel like, oh, I've got to go back home for supper. I haven't said bye to my family. I'm not ready to leave yet because I've got two more days, you know, before a tour and stuff like that. So having the band and your family in the same town always sounds like a good idea, and it's always a bad idea, yeah. for sure. So I finally figured that out after this long, and so we just went over to Bremerton. So even though the guys came to town, I just took a ferry over, and I, now yeah. I'm out of town. I couldn't come home. That's you know awesome. what I mean? So we, we spent yeah. two days over there at Mike's studio, uh, Monkey Trench. Thanks, Mike, by the way, for letting us use that. You can find awesome. their Facebook page. I told people that I would tell everybody about the studio because I like it so much. But um, So we just locked ourselves in there two days and did something we hadn't done in forever, and that was just write music with almost no ideas and nothing done. And, it, wow. and we did. In, yeah, in, what a novel concept. I know, I know, it's super weird. <laughs> but we just did two days, and um, we wrote nine songs. Oh, that's amazing. Nine Emory songs exist now that did not exist. I mean, Devin had a couple ideas and Toby had some stuff on a computer from old files, but at least probably 60 or 70% of the music that we played or came up with was there together in the room. It's unreal. Like, I've totally, haven't done that in 12 years, probably. Yeah. Like, as soon as we got technology, like, immediately stopped oh, yeah. doing real life stuff. It's weird. Yeah, I just finished a writing camp that I was doing this week where we – it's like a, f- a film and television writing camp. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, you get paired up and they tell you the night before who you're going to write with the next day. And then you have to just write a whole song right there. And then – And finish and they give, the lyrics You know, they give that. you like a brief. Like they'll give you like a TV commercial brief or like a – movie trailer or some kind of you know television show like the kind of song they're looking for and then you kind of write for that um but it's really fun to like be forced to like work out Mm -hmm. a finished thing in about six hours you do one song in six hours with three people is that how it works yeah two or uh, one of my rights this time had one to just one other guy and then the rest of them, they're usually three people. Do people in that setting wind up specializing? Like, I will handle the lyrics or I have an idea, so follow me on the chords or what? I've noticed that besides the fact that everybody writes a little different, kind of, you do see people kind of naturally fall into kind of a, a, a space, you know, a, a role in mm-hmm. it. And, uh, I'm usually always in the role of making the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but I'm kind of trying to work on, you know, lyrics and melody ideas and kind of he- hearing people behind me usually. So you kind feel of, like a producer in a writing session still? Yeah, except that I have, I'm part of the band. Yeah. It's the only difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm making the song from scratch and might even have the first idea i might even say check this out or my sense on those things is 
and tell me if I'm wrong. I know people are probably good and talented and pure and everything, but my sense is people have, like, they do have ideas that they worked on, and they probably act a little bit more like it's coming on the fly. Is that not a thing? I think probably. I mean, I know I've, I mean, been, in sessions. I've been in sessions where people come in and they've got a list of, like, hook ideas. Yeah. Or, and then I've been in sessions where we're like, what, sh- or what should we do? And everyone kind of stares at each other for 10 minutes, and then someone goes, picks up a guitar and, like, you know, That's crazy. thinks of something. Or, you know, like I did one yesterday with um, – Chris Orlowski, he was in town, um, and he's awesome. He just had a record come out that is so great, and uh, he's actually playing the uh, the album release show is tonight at the Crocodile, um, and I co-wrote the single on that album with him. They're playing it on the end right now too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I see yeah. his name around a good bit. That's cool. But he had, you know, he thought of some stuff. He, he got the brief right before he left his hotel and read it, and then he just thought of some stuff on the way in his car and brought it in, you know, just in his head, like yeah, yeah. Um, and that was neat. Okay, we had he he brought the verse vocal melody like right in and set the whole tone for the whole thing. The more I think about it, it's just too interesting to think about how humans are creative and what it what it really means, and it's just like. It's just it's weird because I'm writing now more, and we're doing this stuff and doing it in a different way than I've ever looked at it before, and it almost seems easier than before, but it's only because I'm a lot better at it than I used to be, so mm-hmm. I, I can work at it less, and then I'm teaching Georgia about life, and part of that is I teach her a song or a note or match a pitch or can you play, the, can you play this rhythm with me? Just simple stuff just to get her mind into music a little bit without making her do anything. And I, I have her make up songs and just for fun, and I realize it ain't no different. Like, if she can make up a song about her stuffed animal jumping on the TV or, or in playing in the front yard, a one line, it's... It's so similar to having uh, the same ideas that we do. It's just different and more developed and more in tune and in time. But it, it, it's not even way catchier. Like, you know, if, you, if, if you, somebody said, make up a song right now about your uh, hat and glasses and uh, one line about it and sing it, 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 might, it probably would actually be really, really catchy. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be oh, hard yeah. not to make I, it I catchy. I think the, the inhibition is the, right. the, the, the um, you know, She's, that's where the leg up is right. in a kid. Because the, the, the better I get is the, when I get the more, you know, when I get more comfortable just flushing out stuff in front of people too. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, the first thing I, when, whenever, when I came here and started doing these, you know, kind of Nashville style co-writes or whatever, the first thing I noticed was that I was super self-conscious about mm-hmm. even suggesting any ideas right. whatsoever. And... I had 50 ideas and wouldn't even say anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, I, I saw people who just would just every idea they had, they'd just say it out yeah. loud. And then I saw people either react like, ooh, that's cool, or just kind of, hmm. And it was fine. That person didn't right. get their feelings hurt, and that other person wasn't being a jerk. Right. And I started to finally kind of get more comfortable with that. I'm so at baby level of that because I've, on my whole career, I've compensated by, I, I imagine, real insecurity by mm-hmm. over arranging, over producing, over processing, uh, you know, logically and analytically until I knew it was good enough. And then I might show it to somebody. 
and even to Toby or Devin. I wouldn't even. I don't even show them stuff until I know it's really on point. And probably lost a lot of stuff with that. And I'm thinking, as I'm looking at George, I'm thinking, how does it work if I just encourage her and and she, all you, if you just keep the inhibitions out of a kid, will that just work? And I feel like it will because when I think back about it, I think of. Uh, people that are really talented or good or that person that has 50 ideas and will say them unlimited you think well that's because they're super talented but it's really they just have probably 30 years of practice of coming up with ideas and not the inhibition so if i'd been spitting out ideas with no inhibitions for 30 Mm -hmm. years my ideas would be a lot better also because i would simply have more practice at it yeah but i i do kind of think that my inhibitions helped mold my taste my ability to know if something's good or not. True. Because you can have ideas all day long, but if they're all crappy, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, so, but just think about a singer. But, you like, know, to strive for something. To strive mm-hmm. for something that I feel proud enough to like or okay enough about right. to like vocalize it. I think there's a balance well, in that's there Well, that's what makes a, a ranger or a producer, certainly. Yeah. That they're not all about just whatever. They, that's a whole other different skill and different level. But writing is crazy, and performing is pretty similar, too. If you think about it this way, like, Devin has been a, a really good – I've known Devin since I was four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he grew up down the street from me. And when I knew who Devin was when I was four or five years old, it was, hey, that is a really good singer. Devin was a real, I mean, but here's the thing. He probably wasn't. He was just a three. If you ask him, when did you start singing? I started singing when I was three. Mm -hmm. But think of how not good a three-year-old has to be. Yeah, to be To be encouraged (laughs) and for everybody to say how awesome he is. Now, if you knew, if I'd have known when I was three, known, falsely or not, that I was a great singer and that my ideas were good and that my voice was good, think of how much more freely I would have, and often, I would have practiced singing for the next 30 years. And then, of course, you're going to be a good singer later in life. And then yep. that just uh, pushes forward the whole notion of, yeah. well, you either got it or you don't. He had it when he was three. But really, it might have just been a three-week phase where his uncle and aunt were telling him how awesome he is when he was singing along to the TV. And that starts that yeah. ball rolling. I, I mean, I, I see that. I agree with that to an extent. But I also think he had it and some people don't. That, that's true, but... You know, and because there's some people that have it that never even know they had it because they didn't get it encouraged ever. True. And there's some people that really think they have it, and they don't. And they don't. No, that that exists for sure. But, yeah. But it's this weird thing where I think the best combination is, like, an ignorant and confident. Like, confidence plus ignorance is actually can be really good. Like, you know, assuming you have some talent. But, yeah, there's that many jokers out there that think they're great and they're horrible. So I don't know how to Yeah, I'm really always jealous of people that are just kind of that – mix of kind of social ignorance for lack of a better term where they don't have they don't care like there's what about this yeah and and, and then this raw pure energy and confidence and uh and talent and you know like i don't know I've worked with a few people that I'm always just like, ah, oh, yeah. I wish I could just be that uninhibited. And it works even better when they're young and they're just full of energy yeah. and they're ignorant, but it's just going to be good because, I don't know, it's, just, it's a bizarre yeah. thing. But it's weird thinking about it through the whole spectrum of stuff. But anyway, I guess my point was I made myself not bring any ideas to this writing last week. I didn't, I didn't do a thing before, and I, that made me panic for a little bit because I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to have any input because I can't think on the fly. I need to arrange my ideas. Toby and Devin are going to have ideas or come up with them, and I won't. Or this, and I just, I just didn't care. I said, because I'm so busy in a way, 
Uh, even though I don't like to claim how busy I am, that's not the point. But I didn't prepare anything at yeah. all. And so we just got in there. And I'm like, well, I'll just try to hang and learn their ideas. And I didn't criticize theirs like I might have insecurely done in the past. But Dave is so good. Devin knows exactly what I'm thinking back and forth. And, and it's just so fast and so easy. And our playing is so much better now than it was when we were first writing songs that way. It was just like crazy. So we'd work on a song. And the answer was yes. Is that a good idea? Yes. What does it need next? Okay. And then we just moved on and did nine songs in two days. I couldn't believe it. That's so cool. So uh, I want to play one of them now. So that's yeah. one thing I want to do on this. This is a special thing that I love getting to do. It doesn't sound good at all. And it's not done at all. And the playing is probably a mess too. But I, since I want to talk about pre-production today, I wanted, like, uh, I wanted people to know. Anybody's joining me live. Let me do my reset right now. This is Aaron Sprinkle. I'm doing this Break It Down show live. I'm going to give one more announcement thing here. I'm going to take this show on a small break. This will be the conclusion of season three, uh, and I'm going to air some old episodes on Adobe Live, but I'm going to take a quick break here, um, play with this video equipment some more, and I'm going to come back in a few weeks, some amount of weeks, uh, doing full video and guests and be real organized and try to do this thing almost even more like a live show or even, a dare I say, a TV show or something like that. But So this recording isn't great, but I wanted to talk about pre-production since you and I last time we spoke said we're not super big on how what preamp and signal chain we use um, mm -hmm. anymore and so I wanted to get, be real practical and, and something that might help people is how do you listen to a song for the first time when you're wearing you know the producer hat when you're thinking mm -hmm. about how to fix a song I had Ed Rose on a few episodes ago and we talked about how when we first gave him our first demos I thought he was going to write all these parts for the songs, because he was going to do the pre-production. He wanted the songs and everything. And all he did was cut out one-third of every song from all yeah. these places that I thought were really cool. And I was yeah. really disappointed uh, <laughs> that he did that and that he didn't create anything, but he just took away a bunch of stuff. And looking back on now, I would be so embarrassed if the stuff that w was in the song, it would have ruined it. I don't think our band even would have ever caught on because the songs were eight, seven, and eight minutes and they, the, the instrumentals between sections would repeat forever and I thought this was neat or that rhythm was neat but it was boring and it only needed to happen one time not four times but I'm one, I want to talk about how do you listen I mean what's your basic philosophy for how you listen in pre-production or what is the point of pre-production? Well for me simply put the point of pre-production is to get the songs ready to be on a record, uh -huh. I guess. Uh, which the re And the reason I'm saying that so generally is because it's it can be very different for different bands mm -hmm. or different artists or different whatever, you know. Um, I'm, you know, I, I wanted to take your songs and make them verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus but that's that's one thing pre-production be is taking raw ideas and teaching a band how to format that into a radio song for instance yeah that, like that's part of me thing. wanted to do that to your songs but i'm you know that doesn't work that's not emory that doesn't uh -huh. that's not what emory does but you can still within the context of what emory does make it a little more palatable a little more um understandable does that make sense yeah like, because you, well, that's something i've been thinking about lately is radio doesn't is who i mean if you cared never about the possibility of radio a three and a half minute song is 
yes, it's catchy and there's reasons for it, but it's also partly dictated by a certain format. So I read yep. an article that was saying in chamber music, was that, that music got written for that format, 45-minute long piece. And so now with streaming, it, you know, it, that we, we can kind of move in a direction where we allow that to dictate the format of the song. The technology or the medium kind of always has. And so I'm curious about, and we've always done experimental forms anyway, but there's still the notion of you want to make the best parts of the song come across in the best way. For instance, repeating verses or choruses is one way to do that. Yeah, but I think it, it, it has it has a lot to do with anticipation. Uh-huh. Tell me more. Um, letting yourself hear what you want to happen next. Mm-hmm. What do you want? What do you anticipate happening? And then that is a way that can, I think, when people hear a song that kind of does what they want it to do in parts... They connect with it more, mm-hmm. and it and it it's. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm really breaking this down. I don't think about this stuff when I'm making music. I literally don't. No, I, I think don't. about what. Wh- I just go, oh, that should do that, and I, and and if you ask me why, I might think and go, oh, maybe this is why. And I'm literally doing that right now. I've never said what I'm saying right now out loud, but that's what um, I'm for. That's the way I think, and that's I what I'm interested that, in. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Historically, in my life, that is completely <laughs> true. I think that it has to do with anticipating what, what you want to hear. And I think there's something built into us biologically or whatever that wants to hear certain things. And I think there's also something that's programmed into us by songs that we've heard over and over mm-hmm. that makes us want to hear things a certain way. But it's and I don't, also think, we, I don't be... think the difference between those is, is matters at all. Uh-huh. And, and you can take a song and arrange it a hundred different ways that might all be right, quote unquote. But, you know, when someone is hiring me to produce their record, I'm going to say, this is what I would do if this was my song. I I want this to go here. I want it to go there. I hear this. I hear that. Which might Uh, be the most valuable thing that you get when you hire the most important, uh, the most, uh, what's the word for it? The, The most prominent thing about your choice of producer would be that input itself yeah not a microphone or how it turns you know something turns or the recording itself but what what does their influence to the song and its arrangement and format do yeah absolutely i mean there's a i think you could point at a lot of instances where what people would think of as production probably didn't have much to do with anything Mm -hmm. you know it's the song was written well and arranged well and delivered correctly and and it, therefore it connected with people emotionally and then it worked but you know? there's something funny i guess that's what art and taste is all about because you say the anticipation thing and that's exactly right however if it's that's the finest line imaginable to being cliche you know, of course they went to that there Mm-hmm. So on one hand, if you just if you just set up the the notion of anticipation, what do you want it to go to next? Well, that would fall short. So it has to be an element of surprise too, right? Yes, and that see that's where you get really complicated because I mean I I, I almost don't even like thinking about this stuff because I don't <laughs> think about it when I make records. Part of me wants something to happen next because it wouldn't. Right. Okay. And part of me wants it to happen next because it would. Yeah. And part of me thinks, oh, That's this hilarious. part is quiet and <laughs> and 
and it's maybe it's going to build and get huge right after this. Wouldn't that be cool if it did that? And then there's an idea. Um, you know, it's really you're just picking a, a very subjective flavor of taste of a person. Yeah. And their signature sort of because the more that I've been doing this and, and, and I've been talking about this a lot lately when I'm working with people, you know, I think people that listen to music have a pretty binary filter of like, don't like. Uh-huh. That's it. You, yeah. You know. oh, right. Yeah. The, the end user is just like, don't like. like they, don't, they don't think I would have liked it if it had done a build there. They don't. That is not a thought that they have. No. The right. snare sound is not a thought. Nothing, none of that. Now, the sna- the, what the snare is doing and how it's affecting them emotionally, subconsciously, that yeah. is affecting whether they like it or not. So I'm not saying that production's useless, obviously. But I try to keep that sort of at the top of my decision-making process is do I like it or do I not like it? Mm-hmm. Is it right or is it not right? Right. Like, I know if I hear something and go, I can. I know it's fin- It's right. It's done. Or no, it's not right. Mm-hmm. We have to keep working on it. And I, you know, to a fault, a lot of times have got myself into trouble because I have a hard time saying it's fine if if I know it's not right. Yeah, but you only have a certain amount of time. So how prepared? Like the more prepared a band is, the less, the more the songs are written and set in stone, the easier it is to finish, but at the same time, you're more limited in what you can do. So what's your favorite amount of preparation? If they're good at writing songs. <laughs> right. But what's your favorite <laughs> amount of preparation for a band to come in? Because you know, we've done records before and the band comes in and they know everything. And it's like, when you go to record the guitar, you just push the button and they either play it right and it's in tune or it's not, whatever. And it's done. Or sometimes the bands go, well, this is kind of how it goes. Can we start recording? And you go, okay, but what are you actually going to play so that we can get it right? So, that depends on my role in the my relationship and role in the project. Mm-hmm. Um, if I if it's been made really clear, you know what? no, that's me. I just need you to keep that down. I can't. Sorry, it's fine. Um, if it's been made really clear to me that I'm, you know, whether it's verbally or not, that I'm going to be invited into the inner circle of mm-hmm. the creative process. Then it's sometimes really fun to just have some starts and some ideas. Yeah, right. That, that's kind of um, where I'm at yeah. right now because we did these real loose. But let's just say you were doing an Emory record. Say we're working on that, and you know our band and the way it works. What would be your what? How prepared would you want us to be? For an Emory record, mm-hmm. I would say fairly finished songs, mm-hmm. like and a bunch of them to pick through. Uh huh. Um. Like demo, finished as know, in my guitar arrangements are done, or finished as in they have just, a form no. and a chord progression. Like a live demo yep. with a with a really good start on vocals and the basic feel of the yep. song. Is yeah. There. So, for instance, you you don't care. I mean, I've seen you say this before, but if it doesn't have vocals on it, I can't sell you anything yet. Unless you want to start working on the vocals, you know. It's really hard for me to get excited about a song. Or the potential of a song if I haven't heard any top line on it. Right. I, I don't know how to do that. See, that's because- where that's where I or the band members' point of view is slightly different. And so I'm going to play this Emory demo. There won't be any vocals on it, so it may not give you any ideas. However, 
I'll but see I, but my, I know t- I know but, you guys enough, and I can imagine what. Yeah. Right, Toby, and, and if Toby came up with something that wasn't good enough, you would just tell him, well, do it again, and he'd yeah. write three more ideas, and one of them would, would be gold. And so for me, I see my whole job is, as a ranger in the band, pre-pre-production, yeah. is to make stuff that will excite Toby. Yes. That's it. Yeah. That's, and then I, if I do that, I am certain that he will write something awesome. And if he doesn't, all you got to do is try again, and the second or third approach yes. will work so that's like the song we did on the last record rock pebble stone i just did it and the whole idea was to get him pumped up on it and then he he, i know he'll take it somewhere that i couldn't have thought of yet kind of thing so that's kind of the way we approach the writing and on this one i don't even know toby was in the room but um so there's the song i'm gonna play um i have it labeled as bremerton five just so for file organization it's the fifth one we did and this one is super exciting to me because i think i've got the right song here this is dave's idea i said you have any parts because he comes up with these dumb rudiment based stuff all the time and shows it to me and i said this is that's a joke i don't know what it is i can't follow it is ridiculous and so finally this time he he says i he, he played a drum part i said that is catchy i said i can follow that i like that and so we we wrote this in the room together and just me and dave back and forth and Devin jumped grabbed the bass and jumped in or whatever so we put together a form That's of a awesome. song it does it just kind of falls apart at the end but uh you know this is a almost two or three minutes worth and let's play it and see if the audio is good i hope everybody can hear it and I, I think it's going to be cool to show people the song, and then I'll play it later when we do an arrangement, when I get a demo with a click, uh, and then the final, I'll eventually show the whole song, but I, it, we're going to start from literally concept on it. Oops. And I wanted to play it for you, so if you don't have any thoughts on it, there's no vocals, I'm not putting you on the spot. But I would love, because that's what I kept saying while we were in the room, is we would play up to the second section, and I'd stop, say, stop. I said, and then I would say exactly what you said, which is, what do you think? What, do, what would you want to happen next? Yes. So this yep. section is good. What would you want to happen next? And then we try to write that part next kind of thing. So I think we kind of fell apart on form, just have two or three parts here. But I would love your feedback if you can hear this well, and listen to yep. it. And we can talk over it or I'll play the whole thing. Either. Well, let's just play it the whole way through and then I'll yep. play it again and we could talk over it. Oh, there's a little vocal there.
then falls apart. <laughs> well, that's it. Do you like it? I do. Is it gonna make? I really it like it. Yeah, it's got some cool, like, kind of classic stuff going on in it, and then some really not classic stuff going on in it. Well, the uh, thing, it's really interesting because, first of all, I had an idea during that song of a good music video would be a band listening to their, like, just footage of them real close up, listening awkwardly to their own song, trying to nod their head. Like, like we were just doing, we, we were just doing, basically that was two minutes of us listening to a song, knowing that the camera's on us with nothing happening, not, not talking. That would be a really funny, awkward video to, like, have to watch the band listen to their song and try to <laughs> nod along with it without acting like they loved it like but, with headphones on yeah that'd be really funny <laughs> uh, but the uh, and it's so different and the, the reason that's I always thought this was an interesting phenomenon is when you listen to something that you listen to by yourself with another person you hear it totally different oh yeah so now I'm hearing it through the lens of what is Aaron hearing and I, I had a bunch of thoughts on it you know already so I don't think that you necessarily would digest that all at once but I'm gonna play a little quieter now in the background so I'll remember what I was saying but first of all, I felt like, like I told you, I thought this was a catchy drum part. However, I, I just want to simplify it a ton already. Do you agree, or you like it being? I don't think you should completely get rid of that. Ever. Um, I think that that exactly how it is should happen somewhere in the song. Uh -huh. Even if it's not, even if it's not the like meat of that part, but like as an intro like mm -hmm. coming back into that part you could do it like that for a minute and then go back to the simplified have it be a straighter version of it where you it's more digestible because it's really okay. exciting yeah. you know what I mean it, it, and it has a really feel of this I don't know like late 90s quirky mm -hmm. rock thing so yeah. it made, made me feel really like that kind of excited that's feeling. good that's a good yeah. thing it's real quirky that's for sure and I always want quirky stuff that's, I always push Dave to do that because he wants to play drums like Motley Crue and Bon Jovi Yeah. and so I had to make him do quirky stuff he finally did something I thought was really neat there but it feels like overkill a little bit and then that rhythm was his too the donk donk I think that section's really neat this is my favorite part and then the way that palm use is really neat yeah And there's a little vocal here. Oh, that's Devin. And so the form's pretty simple, I guess. So this is three parts that happen, A, B, C, the first part. And then it goes back to A again, which I'm starting to get tired of almost already. Yeah, but maybe simplifying that yeah. What it, you know, maybe that's the first time you hear it like that, or it only does it at the beginning for a uh -huh. second, and then goes simple, and then when it comes back, it does it weird again for a second. And or the reverse, where you make that as just a normal pocket part, so it feels like a versier thing. Yep. You know. And then I like this part happening twice. And then the next thing we do, something I like that we do a lot, which is do a similar part with a different time signature kind of thing. So that's the next thing that happens. Okay, so now we go back to that Versi section, but the time signature is seven. Yeah, see, I really liked that when that came in. I, I didn't, I couldn't tell if it was a new part or not. 
That's great. I mean, it sounds to me like the same chords, but it's, there's a beat missing, so it gets there faster, and you ne- I always drop beats to keep you from getting bored. It felt really yeah. different to me. And then it goes in seven, but loud here, which I, this is my favorite part. Yeah, that's really cool. When you make something technical and catch it at the same time, I think it's a home run. But I have no idea after, I love this part, but I have no idea what happens next. So I'm going to pause it, so think. And let's talk about what we want to hear next. Now what? I don't know. I almost want to hear like a like a breakdowny version of of the B thing, right there. Okay, so the B thing, if I can find it, B thing being that those hits, this With part the palm muting, yeah. So a different. Just like that. even more, like he- a he- more even heavier version of that, like just floor drums. Oh, then, like break just down palm mutes okay. with no drop. Oh, and that'd be the end. Like it'd be a loud end to the song. Yeah. Okay, I'm good with that. And it would be done. I had no idea what to do. That's a good idea. So, so it's already loud, but it's that washy loud seven part, and then it could just empty space hits with a lot of gaps in it, and then. Uh, then I would want to go one level different with the vocals. I wouldn't want to do the... To me, what you would want, based on that idea, would be, oh, and then a big screaming part, and it's mega epic, and that's the end of the Emory song. But I feel like we can't do that. doesn't have to do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel like this. We can't do, we've been doing that for 16 years, so let's try it. If we do a big, loud, breaky end, my intuition is do something super weird or quiet, like uh, odd with the vocals on it, yeah. at least. Good. Well, we solved it. Great. That's good. That gives me some reinforcement, and let's—I mean, that's—I need to do that for every song. So I'll probably just send you all these, or we could do a bunch of episodes of it. But that's a—that uh, to me—that's going to finish this song and make it become, and it may change again. But that was a, a real sneaky way of me getting a really valuable thing because people should have to pay a lot of money to get you to help them finish their songs. I mean, that, like I said, that's the main thing that you do, and it's valuable, and it kind of comes across simple. But think about how much. When you hear that idea that you just had, I already have a bunch of ideas because you've given them to me of how to do that. When you finally hear that in the end, it will be to your credit. And think of how much more it will matter than the preamp on the toms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, the, that's my point I'm trying to make yeah. is, you know, the input here is, not, is crazy. Yeah, it's... The first couple guys that produced my old, old band really taught this. I didn't know I was being taught how to do pre-production. Mm-hmm. I was just having it done to me. Mm-hmm. But they really taught me all that stuff um, about, you know, hearing, letting the song tell you what it wants to do, mm-hmm. which is, you know, kind of mumbo-jumbo, but it's also kind of like just getting, like, excited about hearing Right. Something yeah. will, can give you an idea that you wouldn't have had before. Yeah. Just getting excited. Oh, maybe the song's going to speak to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get it, it's all just part of the process. I don't, like I, like I keep saying, I don't like dissecting it really. I don't like, uh, I don't, I don't almost want to know what's yeah. under the hood, you know, yeah. because it's working. Um, but there is certain things that I like to know because it, uh, it lets me identify them and and hone them a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, 
I see you a lot of times when I've been, well, first thing I do when I work with you or engineer is I tell myself, learn this song. I'm going to listen to it two times, and I'm going to try to use my ear, I have a pretty developed ear, to know everything about the song and know it better than the, the worst band member knows. Like, that's my goal when, I, when they bring in the demo and I'm sitting there is, if I focus and categorize all this stuff and really break it down, this is the way I think, then I will know everything about the song at least as good as a band member or better and be able to say, oh, you want to go in verse two on the pre-chorus? And they're like, where? I'm like, right here. Like, that's my goal is to get there so then I can be, you know, dialogue and help the band and those kinds of things. But I notice whenever I'm doing that, you are sitting in the back noodling, talking to somebody, looking at your phone or whatever in a way that you seem distracted. And I've asked you about it before, and you say you're trying to not focus on it so that stuff can jump out, which is so really crazy. Yeah. So, in, so I can have knee-jerk instinctual reactions to parts. If they're as not soon as, as soon as I enter into a relationship with the song, I lose that initial instinct uh-huh. thing. And neither of them, I don't think, are worse or better than the other. But I, ha- I really don't want to miss an opportunity that I could have from just listening, yeah. like as really casually listening yeah. to it, it's like a whole not even trying to figure out what the arrangement is, mm-hmm. like not even trying to figure out is this the verse? Is that oh did that repeat? Is that a new part? Just listening, and and then if and then an idea might come. Yeah, and then later on, obviously, I could play I, the songs are in my sleep. I can't, you know, get them out of my head. Yeah, in later on in the process, but it it's really important. That's just how I'm wired, though. Like mm-hmm. I have to almost be distracted by an idea. Yeah, for it for it to really hit me sometimes. Uh, That's real interesting. You know, but I, I've learned a ton watching you do it and seeing your influence and your intuitions of stuff like that. But it's always been a journey for me to unwrite. And take stuff out is weird, you know, because instead of add stuff or make it weirder, it's a weird thing, man. It's just fun to collaborate with people. Cutting uh, is is the primary thing that I've done in in pre production. It's mm-hmm. just literally taking things out. Yeah. Um. And usually, the younger the band, the more they fight you on it, and right. the older the band, the more they go, "Oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that?" Right. It's weird. Oh, you're I totally mean, right. Oh, weird. And then sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I, I'm, like, really insistent, we do it, and then I'm like, oh, wait, that was stupid. Yeah. That, I thought that would work, but it does not work. And that's fine, too. You know, it's, it's, it's all about, like, being – everybody being on the same team, you know, mm-hmm. the end result. And not sticking to my guns because I had an idea and I don't want to look like an idiot because my idea sucked. Yeah. You know, that's – I've seen people do that in the studio. Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah, I mean, the and thing I don't about understand how, it because I'm like, how far are you willing to go with this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's weird that the personal, like you said, with the younger band or a newer band, like for us, you would know, oh, Dave could do that. This won't hurt his feelings, or it will. Toby yeah. could write a new part, or could not. So think about how just your interaction with the band personally, like when you have to wade through a new band that you don't know, and you had to get into this like week one in the studio is crazy. Like a you know, verse you don't know how they're going to react and who's going to freak out and who's going to. It can be stressful, but I think, you know, you and I learned on some projects we did together where we kind of were like, we anticipated some issues and we were, we were really like clear about them from Mm -hmm. day, like day one before we started doing anything. Mm -hmm. We kind of laid out like, 
what was going to happen and what it like worst case scenario, what it could look like. And then yeah. everybody had time to kind of process that. And by the time it actually happened, no one even thought twice. They were like, oh, this stuff, is just how they do stuff it. Stuff like what? Like you making the call or th- this person not playing for, or stuff well, like yeah. that? You mean? <laughs> that might be the case. That might be what I'm referring to. Perhaps okay, one guys, of us might what's retract gonna something. Is you're going to show Matt your part. <laughs> you're going to show me your part, and then Matt's going to play it. Yeah, and if that doesn't work, then he'll just let you play it, and then he'll play it yeah. after you leave. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't done that much. Haven't done that much, but yeah, it's happened before. So, and well, it, you know, if a person's bad enough, they don't even know that they aren't the one that played it. Yeah, <laughs> if they really are bad enough to, you have to play it for them when they leave the room. They're not even going to know anyway. <laughs> I have a friend who was doing. I think I might have told you this before, but I have a friend who was doing a project. I'm not going to say who the friend is and I literally don't even know what the project was but he said that he was trying to work with this guitar player and they were trying this part over and over and he said here let me show you and he meant to just hit play but he accidentally hit record uh-huh. when he played it uh-huh. and then he, he, he kind of thought I'm going to see if this works oh, he handed God. it back to the guy and he pretended to punch him in uh-huh. So and when the guy was back and he, and, and he waited for a second and the guy was like, so how was that? And he was like, oh, it was perfect. <laughs> and he said that he figured out that he – and he did that for the whole record. Anytime, oh, gosh. So he would play the part, and then the guy would play over it with no, no sound coming out. And the part that was coming out wasn't even him playing, but he didn't even know the difference. I cannot believe that. But, I mean, I guess I totally can. But it's weird how bands are formed like that because there's usually one guy that's a buddy and just happened to live in your town. And then it's weird because – there's a lot of good bands that have one real dud, and it happens. I'm glad, yeah. you, I'm glad you didn't name any names. I don't know who that is, but... Well, I don't even know the artist yeah. that it was. That's yeah. hilarious. That is very funny. <laughs> Sprinkle, I'm going to let you go. I think we're out of time, and you got work to do on... You're working on Acceptance Song, right? Yes. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to hear some more of that stuff, how it turns out. Really, really glad they're working on some stuff, yeah, at least. There's, yeah, we're going to be announcing some stuff soon, so... I'm excited. That's great. That's great. Okay, so let me wrap up here. Um, if you're joining me on the internet, thank you so much. I am going to take a break and do some more video production and get some stuff even a little bit better and be back with season four. Um, do And I think it's going to be really good. Again, Emory dropped a surprise album last weekend. Uh, it's Emory Acoustic Live in Houston. You can get it at emoryacoustic.com. Uh, right now, we've got some T-shirts and some other things over there. And anybody right now during the stream, or for a little while, I'll leave it up, uh, use the code BIDLIVE at checkout, and you get 20% off. So you'll get the, uh, our new album, EP, for like $4 and something if you, if you go do that right now. So please do that. Go straight to us. No companies involved. That's what I love about releasing our own music, doing our own podcasting. Um, you know, thank you for supporting us. Buy, uh, shop through my Amazon link. And whatever else you want to do go to breakitdownpod.com and emeryacoustic.com and see what's going on sprinkle you got any websites or anything you want people to go to um you don't have to there's this website google where you can like search for stuff search for, search for aaron sprinkle like no i just i this was really fun i'd love Good. to do this whenever you want it was yeah. a blast oh we could do it any anytime so i mean we'll, you we'll, know you and i could talk we could right. do this 6 hours and not even yeah, I haven't looked at my phone sweat. or any other windows other than this full one of you, so I don't know if anybody's paying attention or likes it or cares. One day we can probably do this if I get a little better at it and actually take questions because I know there's, there's probably, like that would be awesome. a couple people. Yeah, there's at least four people 
Oh, good. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking if as long as it was over two, he'd be good. Great. All right, well, thanks, Sprinkle, and thanks, everybody yeah. out there. Thank you, Matt. I'll talk to you one. soon. Bye, everybody. Yeah. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.